Hello, I'm your host Nairi Pakai and welcome to NITV Radio for this Friday, 8th of December. Coming up on today's show, we share a story by SBS News at the time when charities are stepping up appeals for donations in the lead up to Christmas, the National Charity Regulator warns there is a high risk of fake charity scams. Also coming up on today's show, we will share a few stories from NITV News team. And Bertrand Tagadame speaks with Wiradjuri Chocolatier and CEO Fiona Harrison. In an in-depth conversation about chocolate on purpose... Fiona talks awards, ethics of cocoa, and sourcing Indigenous ingredients. All these stories and more coming to you after the weekly news wrap-up on NITV Radio. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Minister for Social Services Amanda Rishworth has announced a number of investments for the communities of Central Australia. The first of these investments will be a $30 million package aimed at addressing the early indicators of family domestic violence in partnership with the Central Australia Leadership Group. The federal government has also announced a $7.5 million package targeted at improving internet access for Central Australian residents. Minister Rishworth says the government will receive feedback from the Central Australian Leadership Group on what further supported is needed. These programs will be community-led and the Central Australian Leadership Group will have that connection directly with community uh, and tell us as government what the programs are needed. Because, of course, Central Australia is not a a homogenous group of people. Uh, Every community and town is different. And so we want to make sure that our responses are community-led but they meet the needs of the local community. The father of a Noongar man who died in police custody on November 11 says he's still looking for more answers after the first day of the coronal inquest on Tuesday. Police say Jeffrey Wimmer suffered medical episode while being arrested in Melbourne's East and was taken to hospital where he later died. The inquest on Tuesday heard that he lost consciousness while being handcuffed. An ambulance was called and then cancelled before being called a second time. Mr Winmuff's family, Jeffrey Anderson, says he has many questions. Uh, we want answers. Um, um, some of the protocols that were broken um, by the police force. Um, there was the call-out ambulance calls and was cancelled. Um, well, Jeffrey was un- um, unconscious. Uh, there's a lot of those little things that um, maybe could have been prevented and Jeffrey could have been still here today with us. New research shows that the number of First Nations children aged 0 to 14 suffering with hearing problems declined from 11% in 2001 to 6.9% in 2018 to 19. 
the study released by the Australian Institute of Health and Wellbeing, AIHW, suggests that early testing and early intervention is leading to better outcomes. However, it is still concludes that First Nations people experience higher rates of ear and health problems than the non-Indigenous community. Middle ear infection is preventable but remains one of the biggest factors contributing to hearing loss among First Nations children. Professor Kelvin Kong from University of Newcastle School of Medicine and Public Health told NITV News that the latest research is encouraging, but there are still problems ahead. We're seeing a decrease in long-term hearing loss rates, We're seeing an increase in the amount of audiology services being uh, picked up and we're seeing an increase in the intervention for e-disease amongst our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids, which is fabulous news. The downside of it is that it's still a long wait to be seen. We're still falling behind on some of our language and developmental milestones and we're still getting quite a lot of uh, hearing rate loss in the incarcerated justice system. The Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation has launched a new centre of excellence for Aboriginal families' well-being, dedicated to advancing the rights, social and emotional well-being of families in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities throughout Victoria. The centre will seek to influence positive change by amplifying the voices of Aboriginal families and empowering them to shape policies and practices that promote their social well-being, self-determination and prosperity. The VACCHO CEO, Dr Jill Gallagher, says the Centre of Excellence for Aboriginal Families' Wellbeing is about celebrating the strength of Aboriginal families and championing Aboriginal ways of being, knowing and doing to empower generations. Several people have reportedly been killed in the Israeli airstrike in Khan Yunus, a major city in the southern Gaza Strip. The exact number of casualties has yet to be confirmed, as well as how many have been injured in the strike, which is said to have hit residential blocks. But witnesses like Shadi Abu Samra say dozens of individuals are feared to be buried beneath the rubble. There were people having breakfast, safely sitting, baking or filling water. There is no safety. There is no safe area. All the missiles are falling over people's heads. God will judge everyone staying silent, every single person staying silent. More than 70 persons are trapped under us. We can't pull them out. People, for God's sake feel for us. More than 70 persons are trapped under here. They're still pulling people. We pulled out from maybe more 20 or 30 persons, and they're still at it. Right below our legs there are probably some 70 people. Israeli forces have also struck the southern Gaza town of Rafa twice overnight, thought to be one of the last places where civilians could seek refuge after Israel widened its offensive against Hamas. Israel accuses Hamas of embedding itself in civilian infrastructures such as hospitals and schools using Palestinian humans as shields, a claim Hamas denies. The government will send its first frontbencher to Israel next week. Assistant Foreign Minister Tim Watts will visit, the, will visit with a cross-parliamentary delegation. 
That is to include opposition spokesman Simon Birmingham. The the visit is expected to pave the way for the foreign minister to go to the Middle East early in the new year to contribute to continue its efforts in the region. A spokesperson for foreign affairs says Australia has been working with countries to have influence in the region to help protect and support civilians, to help prevent the conflict from spreading and to reinforce the need for the just and enduring peace that all of us want. The disability community has expressed concern regarding the some proposed changes to the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Minister for the NDIS, Bill Shorten, says the Albanese government is determined to address systemic issues with the NDIS. Following the landmark review of the scheme released on Thursday, the independent report has was commissioned by the government to look at the scheme's ongoing effectiveness. With the costs surging at an unsustainable 14% per year, the review recommends the removal of automatic access to the scheme based on diagnosis such as autism in favour for access-based impairments to a participant's daily life. However, the CEO of Autism Awareness Australia, Nicole Robinson, told SBS News she has some reservations. But what we do know is the government had determined that there are too many children in the scheme and that for some of those children they would be better supported outside the NDIS. And hence they're going to shift that cost over to the states. But at the moment we just don't know whether the states are ready to pick up that ball and run with it. Instances of spiking, having someone put alcohol or drugs into another person's body without their consent, have reportedly been increasing during schoolies celebrations in Queensland. Both Queensland Police and Queensland Ambulance Service have told SBS they haven't received a single report of spiking at schoolies this year so far, but attendees have been telling a different story. Recent graduate Annabelle has told SBS she has seen plenty of examples, with the fear of being spiked keeping her in her hotel room for the majority of the trip. It just kept on happening where people were coming out of the club absolutely beside themselves, foaming at the mouth, having, like, um, needles in their arms, and I was just kind of like, okay, this is not what schoolies is all about. Federal Agricultural Minister Murray Watt has issued a stern warning to the supermarkets to not profit off of hard-working Aussies in the lead-up to Christmas. His call comes as Coles and Woolworths look to set to face Parliamentary Committee inquiry into whether they are price-gouging amid cost-of-living pressures. The Greens-led inquiry, set to be established this week, will investigate the grocery prices power market and large profit margins, with the bosses of both major supermarkets set to be called into hearings. Green Senator Nick McKim said Seven Sunrise, the inquiry will be set to find out how much the supermarkets giants pay for their things.
Oh, well, we're really looking forward to this. It's it's impossible to arrive at the supermarket checkout these days and not be just aghast at you know how many dollars worth of uh, food and groceries you've got in your shop in your in your shopping trolley. And at the same time, Coles and Woolies are raking in billions of dollars in profits. So we want to have a look at a whole range of things, but in particular, we want to have a look at how much Coles and Woolies are paying for the things they sell in their supermarkets and actually how much they are marking them up because the very very strong argument that they are engaged in price gouging in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis. The Gold Coast has scrapped its $700 million bid to host the 2026 Commonwealth Games after it failed to secure support from the state or federal governments. The Queensland Local Council had proposed a streamlined version of the Games after the Victorian Victorian government pulled out in July, citing cost blowouts. In a statement, Gold Coast Mayor Tim Tom Tate said the council had tried its best, but the Australian's reputation as a place that pulls out of global sports contracts remains in tatters. The annual Dhaka rally is back and returns to Saudi Arabia for its fifth consecutive year. With all the best action available exclusive and free at SBS and on SBS On Demand, with daily highlights from January 6th to January 20th. The 2024 Darker Rally marks the Australian Red Bull rider and previous world champion Toby Price's 10th year battling it out in the challenging desert route. As the countdown is on, Toby will look to make amends from last year's narrow defeat and add to his previous two wins. Current four-wheel champion and pro-drive Qatari driver Nassar Al-Atiyah will return to defend his title, with the Australian Daniel Saunders looking to improve on his fourth-place position from last year's rally. Welcome back. You're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, Fiona Harris of Chocolate on Purpose talks chocolate, ingredients and accomplishments. And we share a few stories from our NITV news team. But first, at a time when charities are stepping up appeals for donations, in the lead up to Christmas, the National Charity Regulator warns there is a high risk of fake charity scams. It comes as official data shows Australians are losing billions of dollars to scammers each year. Angelica Waite for SBS News reports. Official data reveals Australians are losing billions of dollars to scams. And with many charities currently putting out calls for donations over the Christmas season, the National Charity Regulator is warning of scammers taking advantage of people's generosity through fake charity appeals. Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commissioner Sue Woodward urges caution to ensure donations are reaching those in need. We know that at this time of year, you know, many charities are running their sort of Christmas and festive appeals and, you know, we would very much encourage that they deserve the support of the public in terms of donations and volunteering. But unfortunately, what happens at the same time is that we can sometimes see a rise in scammers, people trying to take advantage of of generosity and 
take that money and not use it for the purpose it was given. The latest official data shows Australians lost $3.1 billion to scammers last year. There were hundreds of reports of fake charity scams to ScamWatch, but Ms Woodward says the actual number is likely to be much higher. That we know is an underreporting, uh, and so the figure is likely to be much higher because people typically you know, don't bother to report or are too embarrassed to report. So you know, it's a big figure um, and it's a, an issue that we're concerned about. Executive General Manager at the National Anti-Scam Centre at the ACCC, Heidi Snell, says fake charities account for a large portion of scams that are reported. This year we received 96 reports of um, fake charity scams with losses of over $82,000. And one in particular that we saw was door knockers claiming to be from breast cancer foundations in New South Wales and Victoria, um, when in fact they weren't. So we definitely do see these types of scams and so encourage consumers to, to be particularly alert for them. James Roberts is the General Manager of Group Fraud Management at the Commonwealth Bank. He says fake charity scams manipulate people's genuine concern for others in their community, as was the case during the Black Summer bushfires. Back in the bushfire time, um, we had a lot of fake bushfire charities um, where it was actually scammers just preying upon Australians' goodwill and willingness to, you know, help out a mate, help out a fellow Australian. Ms Snell says these scams have substantial financial and emotional consequences. Even scams that only involve losing um, a, a couple of hundred dollars can have a devastating effect on someone who, um, you know, ha- is in a more financially precarious situation. And so then it's not only the loss of money, but also the stress related to... Um, trying to pay bills when you've lost some money. However, Ms Woodward says the existence of fake charity scams shouldn't dissuade Australians from donating at a time of high need. She says the ACNC's free online charity register is an easy way to check if a charity is legitimate. Charities need your support now more than ever. They're um, dealing with you know, people who are struggling with the cost of living, pressures and perhaps particularly so over... You know, the festive season, the pressures are really high. But what we're urging you to do is just take this simple step of checking the register to try and make sure that your money um, goes where you want it to be. The charity register lists 60,000 charities working across the country and offers a breakdown of key financial information, including who is running the charity, its total revenue and expenses and how much it relies on volunteers. Ms Woodward says the safest way to make a donation is through the information on this register, rather than clicking on links or giving details over the phone. She says anyone can be a victim of scamming, but some groups are especially vulnerable. We're all in a hurry. We all get, you know, a text from someone, a social media post that we, you know, are are touched by that we want to, you know, click on and donate. We get a phone call. So um, I think everyone's has been in that situation so I would say that this is the message for everyone but you know of course if English is your second language if you are um, you know have more vulnerable in, in, in any way then that can mean that there's a heightened risk for, for people in that category. Mr Roberts urges people to be vigilant and look out for a few telling signs. Scammers often prey on trying to get you to urgently respond to something without thinking it through. So the first step to stop and take a pause and breathe is particularly important. 
Then kind of moving on to check, um, think about it. Does the content look right? Does the link, often the link doesn't look quite right, doesn't look like the genuine link or the message isn't expected. Um, take your time to check. He says if you have been a victim of a scam, the first step is simple. single most important thing to do is contact your bank, contact your bank, contact your bank. It's important to stop any further transactions coming out if they're unauthorized transactions or alternatively, if you've made the transactions yourself because you've been tricked into doing it by some scammer, um, the faster you call the bank, the more opportunity there is for that bank to freeze that money wherever it went to and recover it for you. So, yeah, singular piece of advice, contact the bank as soon as possible. Ms Snell says with scams often being so hard to detect, it is important for victims of scamming to contact Scamwatch to protect others in the community. Anyone can be caught by a scam. It doesn't mean that you've uh, done something silly. They're really, really sophisticated scammers these days and so they can catch anyone um, in it. And so we really encourage people, don't be ashamed or embarrassed if you've um, been caught by a scam, but take the opportunity to to tell your story, share it with your friends, um, share it with your family and report it to Scamwatch so that no one else gets tricked by the same scam. Angelica Waite, SBS News. A five-year strategy to overhaul the National Disability Insurance Scheme has been revealed, with a greater onus on state governments to deliver foundational supports. For First Nations communities, it could mean better access and control over services provided through the scheme. With the spiralling cost of living hitting every Australian household... For more than half a million Australians living with a disability, the NDIS provides life-changing support. But after a decade of shortcomings, questions about its future remain. The National Disability Insurance Scheme is here to stay. It is not going away. But we need to get it back on track. Today, a landmark review has found Australia's disability support system is too reliant on the scheme, resulting in limited choice and control for users. Key issues for First Nations communities include cultural sensitivity around services and access for people living in remote areas. So, you know, currently there's, there's a bit of a fly-in, fly-out model that happens in a lot of communities, which might mean you get a lot of support one week and then you might get nothing else for a couple of weeks after and it really it, it doesn't work. The report addressing those concerns, 26 recommendations to be implemented over the next five years. Among those, calls to set up more foundational supports outside of the NDIS and steps needed to fix serious workforce shortages. We need flexibility on where we access our supports um, for people with disability in the scheme, outside of the scheme and for everybody in the community. It comes as National Cabinet struck a deal yesterday that will see states double their NDIS contributions to 8%, along with a commitment to move to a 50-50 funding model for disability supports outside of the scheme. Under this agreement, it's, it's looking really likely that the people who aren't eligible for NDIS support will now be able to get support through you know, the state and territory systems. So that's a really positive outcome and something to look forward to. Advocates today welcoming the signs of much-needed reform. We're really buoyed today by the comments that have come out of government. Before turning questions to what comes next. 
for us, we're really waiting to see the detail on how it's going to be done. If all the impacted communities need to be involved and have a voice in the change and how that looks. A full response from the federal government is expected next year. Emma Kellaway, NITV News. With the spiralling cost of living hitting every Australian household, those living in remote communities are forced to pay some of the nation's highest prices for basics like food and fuel. For Torres Strait Islander communities, the, the Queensland government has promised a $64 billion million freight subsidy, but the region's only supermarket chain says that's not enough. For decades, residents on Kariri, Hammond Island, have had just one small grocery store. Recently, it was acquired by the region's largest supermarket chain, the government-owned CEQ, or Community Enterprises Queensland. Everything has changed a lot, like lots of food than usual. CEQ owns 28 stores in the region and the community hopes its buying power will bring better food variety and lower prices. Well, I hope this is a good change for the community, especially in prices, you know, where everything's, you know, high now. Yeah. And I hope they get more meat or variety because that will be another issue if we, the, if there won't be meat here. To reduce costs further, the Queensland government has created what it calls a freight subsidy scheme. Due to come into effect in the new year, customers in the Gulf, Cape York and Torres Strait regions will get 5.2% off essential groceries at the cash register. But the head of CEQ says it's not enough. I think it's, it's time for us as a collective group of organisations to take our point of view and our, uh, our customers' point of view to the federal government and start to really understand how they can support us, similar to how they do Tasmania with a free equalisation sub subsidy, how they can do that for far north Queensland. The TASI scheme provides freight assistance to businesses that transport eligible goods by sea across the Bass Strait. But the Queensland government has dismissed the idea, saying it wasn't convinced the benefits would outweigh the cost. Meanwhile, on Wyburn, a short ferry ride from Kariri, independent business owner Kelly Beckley says the cost of freight is keeping her up at night. It just feels like I'm just not going anywhere. I'm just treading water. Just whatever I spend, I get that back and only a little bit extra. She has concerns about the new subsidy scheme and the future of her business. I'm just going to give it until and do another assessment after January, so the end of January, just have a look at turnover, have a look at um, the freight cost, just have a look and just see if it's still worth going. Carly Willis, NITV News. Welcome back. I'm your host, Nari Pakai, and you are listening to NITV Radio. Next up, a conversation with Fiona Harrison, a Wiradjuri woman and chocolatier. Fiona is the CEO and founder of Chocolate on Purpose and is accumulating many awards and deals with her unique flavour combinations bringing together high-quality classic chocolate and Indigenous ingredients. I'm joined by Fiona Harrison, founder and CEO of Australia's first Indigenous chocolate company, Chocolate and Purpose. Fiona Harrison is joining us as uh, one of Chocolate and Purpose's creations. Dark chocolate with uh, Wirong, which is a rosella flower, and uh, morao, mm -hmm. 
Mountain Pepper Berry, has been announced a silver and editor's choice winner in the best chocolate cacao category at this year's Clean and Conscious Awards. Welcome to NITV Radio, Fiona. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Great to speak with you again. This is exciting. We've had you on air many times talking about uh, chocolate on purpose, about uh, uh, the way you produce your chocolate ethically and uh, promoting sustainable business uh, models, uh, actually protecting and uh, sustaining indigenous uh, supply chains. And now you've just uh, won another accolade. How does it feel winning another accolade? Um, it feels wonderful. It's as if the business has evolved since uh, uh, it was first created. And last, um, no, early this year, I was certified a social enterprise because of my my work in the supply chain, so creating impact in the supply chain, and and now winning uh, an award that is about. Um, ethical and sustainable um, businesses, um, I just feel really affirmed and excited. The products you use in uh, your chocolate are actually native foods. You call it Boost Chocolate, actually, one of the first ones to have uh, native ingredients fused in uh, chocolate. This particular one, the Rosella flower, is not just a flavor, it also has uh, medicinal properties. Yes, it does. When it first came to me that I was going to use chocolate as the vehicle to share the healing power of the plants, the name that was sort of like universally dropped into my head was Bush Food Chocolate, and that's what my range of chocolate is called. The Rosella flower, the Wirong, is very exciting because it actually originated in India, and so it it goes to show the trade that has gone on for thousands and thousands of years. Um, You know, we actually did cross... The, the seas in in canoes and we were trading with other um, with other people and um, you can see a lot of the healing benefits of the rosella flower in Indian natural medicine as well so it's recognized as a moderator of, of blood pressure and it's a, um, a a blood tonifier so it's all about the circulatory system and do you mind if I tell you a little story about it? Yes, please. Go ahead. So what happened was when COVID uh, first hit and, you know, we were sort of being drip-fed the effect on, on our bodies from COVID and people were being put into ICU and put into comas and the um, the healthcare workers were really being slammed. So the Royal College of Nursing contacted Chocolate on Purpose and said that they were putting together a care pack for the the front line dealing with the COVID. They wanted to put our chocolate into it and what flavour would we recommend? And so we went through them and, and she chose the dark chocolate with rosella and pepperberry. And then it wasn't long after that it became known of the devastating effect that the virus was having on people's hearts and their circulatory system. And so I rang her up and she's like, she's a nurse. And I was going, look, don't think I'm all airy-fairy, but um, these are the, the, you know, the, the natural therapy benefits of the, of the ingredients in, in the chocolate you chose, you know, um, tonification of the heart and the blood. And she was so excited. She virtually never, didn't even hang up the phone before she ran to tell her colleagues about how wise her choice was. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she was very happy. <laughs> a random choice that uh, ended up uh, proving uh, uh, to be the wise decision, the wise choice, the wise choice uh, with uh, tremendous benefits. 
that's right. I said to her, you know, you, I want to share with you just how intuitive you are and you, you may not even have realized it. And she just loved that. Not only that, also for those who are suffering from diabetes, a certain type of diabetes, these botanicals actually, it's said that uh, they help in the absorption of uh, glucose from the stomach, uh, which allows the stabilization of sugar levels. Something that's really fascinating is one of our ingredients, the Kwondong. Uh, it's been scientifically shown to reduce blood sugar levels. I've just released that in a, in a new product, um, a vegan milk, cha- milk taste chocolate. We, um, we call it our walking on country bar because the, the, the chocolate mold is beautiful. It, the, little, the bars look like it's sand and there are two footprints, like the imprints of our ancestors walking on country. I put the condom in as a tribute to my granddad because when I was a, a very young kid, we'd go out gathering condoms for Nan. So um, that's a, a new product that I have released and I think it's exciting that condom has so many benefits. And it's also quite um, ironic in a way because... Our ancestors um, were sustained with Kwandong when protein was not not readily available, and yet our communities diabetes is rife in them. So it, you know, there's this ingredient that they were using for thousands and thousands of years, um, doing them good, and now that you know colonisation stopped us from um, eating our traditional foods, now diabetes is endemic. So they should be going back to the traditional foods that they were consuming for thousands of years. Yes. So the modern diet has actually completely uh, upended uh, the nutritional uh, intake and uh, caused so many uh, of these uh, lifestyle diseases. They call them lifestyle diseases, but... Uh, yeah, because yeah. it's, it's reality, isn't it, that um, our bodies, not instinctively, but like, you know, biomedically... Um, they were created to tolerate certain foods. Where, um, and for example, we can't. Our bodies couldn't tolerate alcohol or sugar because that's not what we were eating. Um, but other nationalities, like for example, the ancient Egyptians, they were fermenting and um, creating alcoholic um, beverages. So their bodies evolved to be able to um, sustain that. So once once you have your natural diet removed. Um, your body just suffers. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't uh, process uh, those ingredients as well as those who, yes. who have been um, over generations uh, had their bodies yes. uh, adapt to that diet. And for chocolate lovers, those who will be listening to us, especially the vegan ones, your chocolate has been uh, described as a certif- certified, certified vegan and even voted as uh, one of the most delicious vegan chocolates around. Yeah, that's the judge shared that on social media. She made a special mention that um, our da- all our dark chocolates are vegan certified by Vegan Australia. And the Walking on Country Milk Taste Vegan Bar is truly, it doesn't, it, um, it's not that it doesn't have um, milk solids in it. It's that um, it, it's made with an ingredient that other vegan chocolates aren't made with. It's very exciting. There's never been a milk chocolate that really tasted like milk chocolate, like a vegan milk chocolate that tasted like milk chocolate. But how do you achieve that? to have it, get it taste like uh, milk chocolate without adding any uh, dairy products? On the market, the vegan chocolates are made either um, of coconut milk or almond milk or oat milk. Those products have a very distinctive aftertaste. 
taste. Yeah. Uh, and that's what you taste in the chocolate. And also they find it hard. So when you make um, mainstream chocolate that has um, traditional ingredients in it, you do something that's called conching and that's where you, you put it on a, a roller and it takes out all of the graininess. The vegan chocolates on the market, they've not succeeded in removing all that graininess. So it can be a bit chalky in your mouth. But um, this chocolate, this vegan chocolate, is based using a Spanish root called um, chufa. Chufa, when you crush it, when you turn it to powder and you mix it with water, it becomes milky. And so it's able to replicate um, what the milk solids achieve in a milk chocolate. Wow. Yeah, so it's very smooth, it's not grainy, and it actually has um it actually has a deeper note than milk chocolate. It sort of is a bit in between milk and dark. Um it's quite an interesting flavour profile. Wow, that's one that I, I would uh, like to try, uh, especially uh, leading up to the festive season. Uh, it's time to yes. start offering chocolate, so it's one that uh, I'll test myself and offer to friends and uh, loved ones as a oh, gift for you. the festive season. Yeah. They'll love you for it. Yeah, no, no, this is, I'm a chocoholic, so. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're our people. Well, I wish I could uh, be like that kid in a chocolate factory. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yes. Swimming in a pool of it. No, yeah, I yeah. like that. Willy Wonka, Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. Yeah, I'll be watching. Did you know they've just remade it? There's a, there's a new one coming out just before Christmas. Okay. It's a story about how, he, how Willy Wonka got started. So I know where you'll be, sitting back eating popcorn in the lead up to Christmas, watching that movie at the cinema. And uh, wow, and just they dreaming of uh, the, the delicacies I'd be getting at uh, chocolate yes. and puffers. <laughs> Welcome back. Returning to part two of Bertrand and Tugan- Bertrand Taganame and Fiona Harrison, they talk ethical practices and sourcing ingredients. And it's also said you're disruptors. Yes. A lot of um, fasts in what you do and a lot of um, actually milestones you're being celebrated for uh, about uh, sourcing your products ethically, uh, fighting child labor in uh, the way you source your products, and also contributing to First Nation supply chains and... Uh, First Nations uh, carbon uh, credits. Uh, tell us yes. about all this. Yeah, the where we source our chocolate, um, the association um, they support the farmers in many ways. It's not only about giving the farmer a good price for their cacao. It's also about agroforestry, making sure that um, the cacao tree plantations are sustainable themselves. Um, learning. Um, horticultural methods that mean that they get the best cacao crop that they can because everything's been affected by climate change and at the moment the cacao trees are fighting a fungus that's um, happening because there is too much rainfall now in the areas where um, the cacao is grown Uh, so the farmers are being taught um, you know um, horticultural methods agroforestry which is also about planting companion plants so uh, a lot of the cacao farmers are now growing cassava for example and when you have a diversity it means you're covered across different pain points you know if some if your cacao trees were not having a good harvest then your cassava 
may be what will will, um, will make up for your, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. so um, they're being taught all of those methods. The um, schools get built. The kids are given school kits. And what's really exciting for us, you know, like it's a chocolate on purpose women-led, is that they're um, encouraging women to become cacao farmers. Last year, we're really happy to say that about 42,000 women became cacao farmers. And um, then on top of that, what's really super exciting is that the cacao farmers were pretty much like the old tenant farmers, you know, in you know ancient England where you just, you, you rented your farm and it was really hard to get ahead. But now they're being assisted to actually buy their land. So, you know, they're being shown, you know, sustainability personally, like, you know, self self-determination which is really exciting and then in Australia that's what we hope to be able to help the indigenous producers in the Australian native food and botanical supply chain to achieve and so we're now working to um, find funds Um, we need $200,000 to be able to get this small production line that'll take us to the first level of commercialization and mean that we can introduce employment impacts and especially for Indigenous women because traditionally we're the holders of the plant law and we shared that through storytelling of the 1% of Indigenous producers in the Australian Botanical Native Food Sector, less than 1% of, 1% of those are Indigenous and less than 1% of those are Indigenous women. And I would really like to employ older Indigenous women you know, to return leadership to us in that space and also because older women in general in Australia are the fasting growing cohort of homeless. And it only takes one little thing to go wrong and you end up on this roller coaster that you just cannot get out of that spiral. So that's what I'm hoping my next step will be, is to be able to increase capacity to be able to bring on employees and, um, and help um, Indigenous women find self-determination in that way. And one thing that uh, has been... Um talked about in uh, the community in the chocolate world is that well you're not only Australia's first indigenous chocolate uh, business but you're really kicking goals and your chocolate is up there close to some of the finest in the world including um, Belgian chocolates yes thank you yeah we're very very excited um Next month, Princess Mary of Denmark is coming to Australia with a trade delegation and a Danish company has commissioned us to make chocolate bars with the bush food on them. Because we use Belgian chocolate um, and, you know, like in Denmark and countries like that, that's recognised as the, the gold standard. And we're put, we're, because we're um, blending with the bush food, it's a way for um, to share the the indigenous Australian story through the native botanicals with the visiting um, delegation. So we're very, very excited about that. When you travel overseas, the only uh, Australian native product you'd find in chocolates that is uh, commonly used by chocolatiers around the world uh, is the macadamia nut. Uh, Most would never have heard about uh, uh, native ingredients like uh, uh, rosella flower or uh-huh. the mountain pepper berry being used in chocolate so you're introducing something completely new to those uh, other markets yes and i truly believe that awareness can't happen change can't happen without awareness and so um being being given uh, a way to amplify our voice is a way to really um to bring about change through awareness and sparking that seed of wanting to find out more Wow, 
can't wait for the end of the year and just uh, have an excuse to indulge in uh, <laughs> chocolate and papas. Yeah. Now, Fiona, before I let you go, any closing thoughts, something we may have missed you'd like to bring to the attention of our listeners? I'll just say that the Walking on Country Vegan Milk Taste Chocolate Bar, it actually was a finalist in the Clean and Conscious Awards as well. It's just been a really great year uh, to know that, you know, my chocolate is appreciated by those who are also striving to create a, a world that's better for us and for the future generations. Fiona Harrison, CEO and founder of Australia's first indigenous chocolate business, Chocolate on Purpose. Thank you very much for joining us on NITV Radio today and congratulations again on uh, this uh, accolade you've just won. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful for your interest.